That may be a little too much. Or just enough. Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. Merry Christmas. This is a Christmas episode. I guess I guess it's the Christmas episode by default. Of course, welcome back to the Friday show with Dustin here on the Culture Jack podcast. And today on the show, we're going to take a little bird walk about hype. We're going to talk a little bit about a fast food chain diving into the console wars and the next Spider-Man movie uh, being packed, just packed to the point that it's about ready, ready to burst. Uh, but before we get into all that, I have to start by saying Merry Christmas because this is a Christmas episode. I think this is the Christmas episode as, as much as you're going to get a Christmas episode. And if you're watching the video, uh, I'm wearing a Christmas hat. I have on a Christmas sweater, and I've been I've been placed in the um, in the Christmas broom closet. So. Congratulations. This is the Christmas. This is the Christmas episode. And I think uh, Anthony may have planned this from the onset when we when we divvied up the beginning and the end of the week. He put me on the end of the week because he knew it would land on Christmas. And I would, of course, have to wear a uh, Christmas hat and sweater. Not such a, a, a troublesome burden, granted, but one that uh, a hoop that I had to jump through that he did not have to jump through. So, I mean, I guess he could wear a Christmas hat on uh, the Monday Madness show if, if he'd like. Speaking of the Monday Madness show, did you catch the Monday Madness show this week? Anthony, he had some great ideas about uh, Christmas gifts that you could get for your loved ones for this holiday. If you're one of those late shoppers and on his episode on Monday, he said, you know, if you are getting gifts right now, this is it's probably pretty late to be getting to be getting gifts. And so I will echo that sentiment, but even more so today, because today, the day that this episode airs, the days that these videos go out is Christmas Day. So if you are shopping for Christmas on Christmas Day, um, best of luck to you. But I think you're going to to find yourself with more than a difficult time, although some of his suggestions are. Uh, immediate gratification suggestions that you could get via uh, the digital scape, the digital uh, space that could offer a gift right away at a very, very low effort uh, to you. So before we get into our episode, though, uh, I have to start with an apology. And it 
maybe it's a sign of weakness that I apologize. Maybe it's a sign of, of fear, cowardice, or internalized self, self-loathing. But I am so sorry that I missed last week's episode. How, how rude of me. And now I could take the easy way out and say that I missed it because uh, today's uh, topic is about hype. And so I missed it intentionally then to build up the hype around this event. I, and I wish I could say that I was such an Artur, such a, uh, a devious mastermind of the podcasting landscape that I, I could say that that was an intentional action. But it was not. I, I actually went to a, a beach. It was a very nice beach. And I recorded, I want to say, 16 minutes of this very episode. And my my laptop was not hooked up to power and it, it died on me. And I don't know if that's because I left it out in very, very cold weather in my vehicle at home. And maybe that had an impact on the inner workings of the laptop. And it, it just decided that the screen would give out. Maybe it was still on. Uh, Cause I have part of that. I'll, I'll, I'll for those of you uh, watching on the Facebook, I will show you, I will show you a, a clip of that now. I don't know if it's any good. I, I didn't really watch it because it was partway done. So I'm, I'm recording it again. But you don't need to know any of that. That's not not important for you. Um, besides Anthony's show, besides my missed show, then Anthony's Monday Madness, we also had another midweek special. This is turning into quite the event. We may be seeing these at least every other week, if not more, for other other things. Look out for those. But uh, our midweek special, we talked. It, it was it was fun because we went kind of down a rabbit hole about, you know, the direction that cinema is heading, the direction that movie theaters specifically are heading due to this pandemic in large and then a to a lesser degree, the onset of the streaming wars, uh, different streaming services that are, are available. Uh, but I'd like to start out this episode. It is going to be a long episode. And so I know today is a day that you, many of you will probably want to spend with family and friends opening gifts and eating ham and roast beast and turkey and, and gravy and mashed potatoes and then watching your bellies rise and fall as your children play with the new toys and gadgets and gizmos that they've gotten from underneath the tree. However, if you don't have all that, or maybe on top of all that, you want to spend a little time with uh, one half of the Culture Jacked team. Spend a little time with me today. Just just relax. Let's talk about some news that's going on. Let's talk about hype, like I'd said before. And so we'll, we'll talk about news. It's Christmas Day. It is the 25th of December, and as such... Uh, for those that have the appropriate streaming services, you've got a couple movies that you can watch today as well. Wonder Woman 1984 comes out today. And we've been talking on and off about the the ongoing battle between the theatrical experience and the streaming experience. And Wonder Woman 1984 kind of started that out with its its announcement to go a hybrid route. Route? Route? To go a hybrid route, 
uh, in that it's going to be streaming on HBO Max and it's also going to be released simultaneously in theaters. So if Wonder Woman's your cup of tea, I know it's mine, but I'm waiting for my family to watch the original Wonder Woman and then um, we will be watching Wonder Woman 1984 together. So I'm, I don't get to watch it today, unfortunately. Also being released today on a separate streaming service on Disney Plus is Black Widow. Of course it's not Black Widow, but boy, would that be great. If that was like a surprise, uh, Kevin Feige was like, surprise, Merry, Merry Christmas, you get Black Widow, but that's not the case. What a turd. He should have done that. No, it's Soul, the new Pixar animated joint where um, he looks like a jazz musician and he passes unexpectedly and his soul is going to the afterlife, but... Uh, escapes that particular path to find a way to to get his life back, to get back what he's lost. So very interesting, and it's probably going to have some some tear jerking, heartwarming moments. And so I'm very excited about seeing Soul, and you should be as well. Um, I, I've got a lot of news here. I, we, we'll just go through. It, if that's okay with you, like, is it all right? It's, it's all right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so Mad Max, the Furiosa uh, prequel, is going to be released uh, in summer uh, 2023. And that is going to star uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, Yahoo Abdul-Mateen II. Not y- Yahoo. <laughs> that was an autocorrect. It's Yahya Abdul-Mateen II and Chris Hemsworth. Um, that should be good. I mean, I, I liked, uh, Charlize Charlie's Theron's version of Furiosa and it's kind of a shame she's going to be recast, but it's going to be a younger character. So, I mean, it, it should be fine. Um, and Tom Hardy's Mad Max is not going to show up. Why call it a Mad Max movie at all? I mean, I, I guess it's in that universe and that's what the universe is called, but I'm excited to see it. I like post-apocalypse. I like uh, dystopian future movie sets and fantasy ideas that come from that particular scenario. So it should be it should be good. And who's the who's the director? George Miller. George Miller, I think, is the guy that does these um, Mad Max movies. And he, the practical effects from Fury Road were amazing. And so if it's anything like that, um, I'm very excited. So uh, speaking of the WB HBO Max deal, uh, there's been a, a development and Anthony and I talked about it in that special episode a couple of days ago. If you, if you haven't checked it out, watch it. It was really good. I mean, we put the whole, the whole podcast up in a video on Facebook. So if you're not following our Facebook channel or page go ahead and do that it's at culture jack but we put the whole thing up and uh, so kind of a nice for those of you that wanted to put a face to the voice that's us that's us on facebook just talking about that stuff but uh directors now are more interested in working with sony after the wb streaming plan was announced and sony pictures ceo uh I'm going to butcher this, but it's Tony Vincequera says that directors have approached him about working with the studio after Warner Bros controversial HBO Max push because it will prioritize theatrical releases. He said 
after the Warner Bros. announcement, it's been a bit of a boom for us because it's made uh, dating our movies next year somewhat easier. But the real benefit has been the number of incoming calls from talent, creators, actors, and directors to us saying, we want to be doing business with you because we know you're a theatrical distributor and producer. That has worked very well for us. Sony Pictures is not beholden to any streaming service and, as Patty Jenkins said, um, is a high-profile high filmmakers will flock to those studios that support theatrical releases. And it looks like they already are in this case. So, you know, like it says, Sony does not currently have its own streaming service, but I would not be surprised if Sony did not develop or put out a streaming service of some kind at some point here in the future. Uh, some more movie news. Yu Yu Hakusho. Okay, so for anime fans here, I'm going to put my other earphone in because I think this is maybe sounding weird. I don't know. Does it sound weird to you? No, it sounds it sounds great. It sounds gravy. sounds really good. Uh, so Yu Yu Hakusho is getting a live action uh, show that's in development currently at Netflix. And for those of you unfamiliar with the anime, it is about a boy named Yusuke. And at the very onset of the show, he is killed. There's a young boy who's chasing a ball across the street, and Yusuke goes after him to, to push him out of the way, and he manages to push him out of the way, but he gets hit by traffic, and he dies. And he goes to the afterlife, and then he gets... There's like a, a, a deal that he can become an agent of the afterlife and come back and complete missions to then earn his life back. As a, it's a great show, but... Uh, I'm, I'm of a mixed mind about this. I, I really want to see where this Cowboy Bebop adaptation comes in. And I want to see where the One Piece adaptation comes in. Because it's going to be very effect heavy. And this one will be very effect heavy too. Because some of the villains and some of the side characters and teammates have all these fantastic powers that are going to need to be done correctly if... If the adaptation is going to succeed, or or so I I think, so we've got uh, Bleach, Death Note, Attack on Titan, uh, Attack on Titan all got the treatment, and you know my opinions on those. The Bleach one was terrible. There was a Full Metal Alchemist one that was terrible. The Attack on Titan I didn't see it, but I heard it was terrible. Death Note I liked, not as an adaptation, but as a standalone film, something different. It's like how I said, you know, Disney can't ruin remakes because they haven't been made yet. They're a different thing. And then we've got One Piece and Cowboy Bebop. And really, all they have to do now is do an adaptation for Naruto and Dragon Ball Z. And they will have formed the holy trinity of shonen anime. And other uh, anime-related news. Kids and myself have finished the latest season of My Hero Academia on Hulu. I think it's, I think it's season four. And my son and I have begun rewatching Trigun. Well, in, in, in my case, I've begun rewatching it. He has begun uh, watching it for the first time. He's being introduced to it uh, as we speak. There was a first look trailer put out for Earwig and the Witch. 
And so I, I know a lot of this is this is anime news, and a lot of you may not be interested in anime, but bear with me for a second. We'll get back to real movies. Well, as real as I like to deal with, it's all fantasy for me. All all fantastical, uh, exciting adventure elements is what I like. So anyway, um, it is a 3D animated film from Studio Ghibli, and it is directed by Hayao Miyazaki's son, Goro uh, Miyazaki. Now, I did not know this, but Goro Miyazaki, he also directed Tales from Earthsea and from Up on Poppy Hill. But this is the first Ghibli film that is a that is a 3D film. Now, I'm going to I'm going to give the film a chance. I'm going to give it a watch, but if it is anything like I suspect, I will not be a fan of um of the film. Hold on. I have to open this link here real quick because the next news piece is very hefty. I don't think I'll be a fan of a 3D Ghibli film because part of the appeal of these Studio Ghibli films, of these, I, I, I would place them among royalty uh, in anime because they are so meticulously crafted and so intimately detailed that every 2D animated sprite has so much heart and soul put into it. And with a 3D animation, I'm not saying that there can't be heart and soul put into it. We've seen it with Pixar animated films. They have so much soul and character. But translating the character style and the art style from a 2D space to a 3D space, I don't know if it works. Based on the trailer, I don't think it does, but I will withhold my, uh, my judgment until I see the thing. So the next one, I had to bring up a, I had to bring up a news article uh, on Screen Rant because I, I wanted to get all the details for you. I wanted to make sure you got all of this information because it's very interesting. This whole thing, the title, the clickbait is Netflix reaches settlement on Enola Holmes Sherlock lawsuit. Now. Enola Holmes was a Netflix show that had the younger sister of Sherlock Holmes and a little adventure that she went on. But Sherlock was also showcased in it. Uh, I'm going to try try doing this without out reading the article word for word. But the O'Doyle estate, the, uh, the original uh, author of the Sherlock series, Arthur, is it Arthur O'Doyle? Conan Arthur O'Doyle, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, he and his his family his his estate has um, Sherlock has gone into the public domain, or at least a version of Sherlock. So people can use as much Sherlock as they want, as long as he is crass, kind of rude, a womanizer, unsympathetic kind of kind of an asshole of a character. He cannot be kind, he cannot be lovable, he cannot be caring. And so that is why you may have seen, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of, of Sherlock Holmes as being kind of an asshole. And you might have seen Benedict Cumberbatch's version in being kind of a jerk as well. But the Sherlock Holmes that was portrayed by who was Superman? Henry Cavill. He was Henry Cavill in this Enola Holmes, 
And in the show, he was a kind, caring older brother, which apparently that version of Sherlock Holmes was created later and so cannot be used as public domain like the nasty version of Sherlock Holmes. And so the estate drew up lawsuit papers and they settled out of court uh, or they, they, they settled and uh, the, the case has been dismissed. Um, so yeah, that uh, I guess from this article here, it says that that has opened up opportunities for Enola Holmes two to begin being written as Millie Bobby Brown was the star in that one. And she did a great job. I mean, it was very interesting. It was a different kind of Sherlock movie, but it was kind of, you know, what you expect, you know, these big brain activities, these solving puzzles, these outside the box thinking maneuvers that you just don't get from normal detectives, but you do from Holmes detectives. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, the, just the whole thing to me, like the public domain and how, how long before a thing goes into pub goes, before it goes into public domain, I don't, I don't know. Okay, so here's a big news story. MGM is looking to sell all of its assets to include, but not limited, uh, to James Bond, Pink Panther, Rocky, The Hobbit, and more of them. This comes from a Wall Street Journal report that says MGM is reportedly valuing itself at $5.5 billion. Now, this is where the betting game comes in. I bet that Warner Brothers is going to be the one to add it to their Infinity Gauntlet. Do I think that Disney uh, would love to have it and James Bond would make a wonderful addition to a Disney Plus streaming service? Absolutely. But they did just buy Fox. And I don't know how much of the market share uh, it needs to happen in order to... um, in order for it to be considered a monopoly. And so I don't think it'll be Disney. It might be. And I guess the reason they were, I, they were already in debt. MGM was already in debt. And then this COVID-19 and the, the damming up of the theater experience and the moviegoers just kind of pushed them over to the edge and they, they're not able to make it anymore. These, these are rumors of course, but, uh, they seem to be pretty significant rumors at that. Something is not a rumor, though, and pardon me, I know here at Culture Jacked and on the Friday show especially, we like to stay apolitical. We don't like to talk politics because we know it's very divisive, and we want you to come talk about the things we enjoy with games, movies, and the like. However, I've got to talk about a new bill that's going through, going through the uh, American Congress right now. And it's the new COVID-19 bill. So COVID-19, it's got a lot of uh, what they call pork in it. So that's for the uninitiated. That's just kind of extra stuff that they throw in. And, you know, the, the bill originally is for building a bridge, but they also, you know, are funding a library or building tanks. And they, they shove all that other stuff in there in order to, to pass it. And so in this bill, in this particular one, there's things like, you know, uh, counting racehorses as, as a certain type of property and stuff like that. But the particular section, the amendment that they added to this bill that seemingly has nothing to do with COVID-19, but everything to do with the elites in the movie industry with their favorite, favorite politicians 
adding a thing that says it's going to make illegal streaming of movies a felony, potentially with a 10-year jail time as a punishment. That is insane. That that is so that is so crazy that um I mean of course don't don't steal mo- you wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't steal a purse. Why would you steal a movie? Don't steal movies if you especially if you can afford it, but like man, the people that that download movies are not people I don't know. The definition of criminals is a little bit looser and looser every day, I think. And further and further, we creep up on that dystopian future. I'm so excited to see in the movies, but not excited to experience in real life. So Scott Derrickson, he made clear his creative differences from Marvel because he was the original director of Doctor Strange. But he was not picked back up to be the director of the Doctor Strange sequel, Multiverse of Madness. And, of course, Sam Raimi is now going to direct that. But he added a series of tweets that talked about some, maybe his reason why. And so I'm going to read those, those tweets here. I've made some hard creative choices this year. But I swore after making The Day the Earth Stood Still in 2008 that I would never again find myself at the end of somebody else's movie. And I'm sticking to that. I don't think it's a producer's job to blindly back everything a director wants. I do think it's critical of that the producer and the director want to make the same movie. Multiverse of Madness is in excellent hands with Sam Raimi. So... Uh, it, it's you know I I give a lot of uh, a lot of credit to the Marvel movies and Anthony does as well and we love those movies and they they provide a lot of entertainment a lot of fun and a lot of the spectacle that we're looking for in those types of movies but I will admit that those types of movies do not always lend themselves to the creativity of a particular director. Of course, you know, there was the famous split on the Ant-Man movie with Edgar Wright leaving the project. Um, it's not happened too terribly often, but it does happen. And while I do like the movies, I will admit that they are a bit formulaic in that action, 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 make you laugh. Break up a tense moment with a funny joke uh, or ask ask Dr. Strange why his hair is moving. Stuff like that. Like, they're good movies to me, Martin Scorsese be damned, but they are predictable in that they do have the same feeling to them, at least most of the most of the way. And of course, you know, directors can add their own spin on a movie even under those particular parameters and those particular guidelines. Okay, so HBO Max, the saga continues. Uh, Legendary Pictures now, they financed 75% of uh, movies like Dune and Godzilla vs. Kong. And so Legendary Pictures are now unhappy with this HBO Max move because their movies that they financed a great deal of, or the majority of, are now being sent direct to streaming on HBO Max. 
So uh, reading from the article, uh, now Deadline has shared some insight into what's going on behind the scenes, explaining that the one way to avoid lawsuits is, quote, to preserve Dune as a traditional theatrical experience, to preserve its franchise potential. And since its October 1st release date falls well after the estimated late spring date when COVID vaccine should achieve herd uh, herd immunity, uh, the trade adds Godzilla vs. Kong might stay on HBO Max hybrid in its May 21st slot, but only if Warner Bros. makes a deal with Legendary that uses as a base the $250 million value established when the film was shopped earlier to Netflix. So that's it's interesting because the these studios are now making assumptions on at least the very bare minimum that their movie would have made in a theater without actually being able to prove it. It's 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 neat because I don't I don't know if there's a the precedence for it. I know that uh, movie studios shop their movies around to different streamers all the time to see if, you know, maybe they don't predict it's going to do that well in the box office. They're going to put like a Cloverfield on direct to Netflix or something along those lines. But for a blockbuster movie, like what is that base value? What is the standard that this industry, maybe it's already set and I just don't know, or, or maybe it has yet to be set. Another person who's not necessarily unhappy and they were very, very uh, specific with their wording. They, they didn't want to make a mis- misstep was Margot Robbie. Uh, she, uh, in an interview with the Hollywood reporter, she said, uh, and I'm going to cause she was uh, Harley Quinn. So I'm going <coughs> to Harley Quinn it up again. <clears throat> we know there are different people at Warner Bros who have a brilliant relationships with that are very talent friendly and responsible. I'm, I'm moving into Whitey from eight crazy nights. I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> that are responsible for the incredible reputation. Warner bros has had over the past decades as the predominant talent forward studio. Robbie says, we are hopeful that this will work itself out and that Warner bros will do right by its storytellers. All we can do is come back to why are we doing this in the first place? If we were money-oriented people, we'd probably be working for a different industry or working in a different industry. Uh, she continued, for us, it's the excitement of telling stories and being on sets and giving people a platform. And stuff like the Warner Brothers news, it doesn't change that. So for an alternative opinion, Kevin Feige, he's, he's big on streaming. He loves streaming. He loves... He said streaming is 100% the future and where consumers want to watch things. I didn't do a voice for him. Let me try again. And he's, he's going to be like a German scientist now. Streaming is 100% the future and where consumers, consumers <laughs> want to watch things, he explains in the latest edition of Emmy Magazine. And hopefully they'll want to watch a long-form narrative series. An experience like WandaVision is something you can't get in a movie. You go to movies for things you can't get on streaming. And you go to streaming for things you can't get in the theater. And of course, everything in the theater goes to streaming eventually. 
So he's a big fan. And I, I, I'm sure he's a big fan because Disney Plus is doing very well despite their drought of content, which should be coming to an end next year because they're going to have, I believe they said six new Disney Plus Marvel shows next year and then six new uh, Disney Plus Marvel shows in 2022 as well. Speaking of Marvel shows and movies, rumor has it that Palm Kimentiff is on board as Mantis, so she's making a return, uh, but this time for Thor Love and Thunder. It's not confirmed yet, but that's the rumor. Zack Snyder. Oh, and Anthony and I talked about this, and we called this. We called this, uh, well, shoot, I think we called it in the episode a couple days ago, if not before that. But he is in support of the Ayer cut, the the David Ayer's Suicide Squad. Uh, in an interview with John Doe Movie Reviews, he said, I haven't talked to David about it, but I'm sure I will. I know him quite well, said Snyder. Said Snyder. I've just been swamped because of COVID. Because it's on my list of things to talk to him about. Like, I support any filmmaker who needs to get their version of their movie or their version sort of seen. Uh, because I've had such generous support. So I would really hope that other people would get the same thing. <sighs> oh man, I plugged my nose for that voice. That was dumb. Anyway, of course, I mean, of course... David Ayer wants to say, yeah, you know, my movie was great before it was butchered by producer interference. Zack Snyder, I mean, he has an excuse. He left the movie and the movie was finished by someone else. He had a personal family tragedy that he had to deal with and he had to leave the movie. So, I mean, it's it's kind of fair to say that his vision may not have been achieved, even though coming back. He's still doing a bunch, of, or he still did a bunch of massive reshoots for the the Snyder cut, but he he still hasn't. I mean, you know, it, just putting the stuff that fell on the cutting room floor back together would be one thing, but he's doing these reshoots now. David Ayer, yeah, he might have had interference from producers, but at what point are we going to say, hey, look, man, you had your chance, your movie, whether it was interfered with or not, it bombed or didn't do as well as you thought. I'm sorry. That's that's what it is for you. I don't think that these situations are apples to apples. I think they're they're two different things. And I think I think that'll be made made clear in the coming weeks and months. Um. Let's see. Uh, John uh, Favreau uh, was talking on Good Morning America about the book of Boba Fett. And it is confirmed as a new series on Disney+. Plus. It's a spinoff Star Wars uh, series. A lot of people were thinking that it was going to be the third season. Like the, the third season of Mandalorian was just going to be taken over by Boba Fett. Uh, but he's getting his own show. And so uh, John said this. He said, We didn't want to spoil the surprise during the big Kathleen Kennedy announcement of all the shows during Investor Day earlier this month. So they let me keep this one a secret, Favreau said. So this is actually separate from The Mandalorian Season 3. But what we didn't say in that announcement is the next show coming up, what Kathy called the next chapter. 
is going to be the book of Boba Fett. And then we go into production right after that on The Mandalorian, back with the main character that we all know and love. Pretty soon following that. <coughs> that voice is a bad one. Let me drink some more. Ah, wait, hold on. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. But I thought it was I thought it was um really necessary. And so I, I so I did. Uh the House of Dragon, a Game of Thrones prequel that is set. 300 years before Game of Thrones is confirmed to debut in 2022 in the uh, the new HBO Max 2021 to 2022 lineup trailer. They dropped a dropped a trailer with all the things you can look forward to on HBO Max, and I still have to watch The Watchmen, and I have to finish Doom Patrol. I think Doom Patrol's on HBO Max. Yeah, it is. There's another rumor swirling around that Disney and uh, Disney Marvel specifically, and Sony have extended their Spider-Man deal, and uh, so apparently it's going pretty well for both mom and dad. Call back to the uh, mom and dad or fighting episode. A uh, lot of casting news for Spider-Man 3, the, the new Spider-Man movie. So th- this is shaping up to be a Spider-Verse movie, and let's, let's, not, let's not make any any qualms about this is this is this live action spider-verse we're so excited jamie fox he's coming back as electro uh alfred molina alfred molina is coming back as dr octopus and very heavy and strong rumors that toby mcguire andrew garfield are coming back as spider-man (laughs) spider-man spider-man their respective Spider-Mans from the Amazing Spider-Man for Garfield and then the original Spider-Man for McGuire. And uh, also Emma Stone's Gwen Stacy and Kirsten Dunst's uh, Mary Jane Watson are coming back. And now Fandom Wire is reporting that Jake Gyllenhaal is coming back as Mysterio. Dane DeHaan's Green Goblin is supposed to be coming back too, the one from the Amazing Spider-Man. And another Green Goblin... Uh, Mr. Willem Dafoe and Thomas Hayden Church's Sandman. So there's a lot of villains coming back from old Spider-Man movies. And can you riddle me this? Because I have seen, I have seen a lot of love on the internet for Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. Like it, for, for reasons that elude me, Tobey Maguire is like a fan favorite Spider-Man. That has to be all nostalgia. I mean, even even setting aside his performance in Spider-Man Three, where he was emo Peter Parker, I don't I don't think that I can I can get behind his his rendition of Spider-Man. A lot of people say that he was the perfect Peter Parker, Andrew Garfield was the perfect Spider-Man, and Tom Holland was a good or is a good mix of the two. I don't think he was a great Peter Parker either. And maybe that that's has to do with news that, you know, he's kind of a jerk in real life too, I guess. Let's move on to gaming, shall we? Okay, it's Christmas. Are you guys having a good Christmas? Have you have you subscribed to the Culture Jack podcast on Christmas? That's our Christmas gift to you. I mean, of course you get this Friday show on on Christmas if you haven't listened 
to any of the other shows this week, the Monday Madness Show, the Midweek Special. That's also our Christmas gift to you or whatever holiday that you celebrate this time of year, because there are a few. I think do you, get yourself a Christmas gift. Leave a review for Culture Jack because not only is it a time of, of uh, receiving, it's a time of giving. So I give you this episode. You give me a review on iTunes. How about that? You ever think of not being selfish this time of year? <laughs> All right. On to, the, on to the gaming news, friends. According to MarketWatch.com, the video game industry is expected to make over $179.7 billion in revenue by the end of this year, by the end of 2020. And for reference, the entire movie industry grossed over $100 billion in 2019, and the sports industry grossed over $75 billion this year. So collectively, video games as an industry has made more money than both movies and sports. That's insane. And it's insane not only for the fact that it, it's so much money, but it's insane because if you, you think about how often it is uh, demeaned, how often it is condescended to, how much how often it is talked down about. Like people are like, oh you play you play video games. Oh, it's a child's toy, this, that, and the other. But I mean, it is a it is a booming industry. It is a huge part of the economy, apparently. It doesn't surprise me either. And, and the article uh, from MarketWatch.com said that most of that money comes from mobile games, uh, but there's also microtransactions in regular games. You want to buy an extra outfit. My kids have bought several in Fortnite. Well, they haven't bought, honestly. Dad's bought and mom's bought for them. Uh, DLC, expansions to games. You know, you make a game, you cut off the last 30 minutes and you sell it to them later, of course. Coronavirus, a lot, people, a lot more people are indoors playing games. People are stuck at home. They need things to do, so they're playing games. Crossplay was another reason that they, that they cited. And if you think that games are going to start being $70 a pop instead of $60 a pop. And it has been $60 a pop for a long time. Um, although we'll talk about that later. I don't think that's a great justification to raise the price $70 because, uh, you know, if you, if you pay attention at all, wages have stayed stagnant, but video game prices are going up and, you know, physical copies are, are being less and less popularized as digital media rises to the forefront. But that's a lot of damn, that's a lot of damn Skrilla that video games are pulling in. Now, that success in video games may be uh, one reason why Christopher Nolan, he apparently is not a very quiet guy. I feel like I'm quoting this guy every week, every other week. But he is open uh, to adapting his movies into video games. In a recent interview with popular games journalist Jeff, K Jeff Keighley, uh, Nolan discussed the possibility of his films being adapted. Uh, what's, what was Nolan's voice again? It's definitely something I'm interested in, he said. It's an amazing world. Nolan also expressed great respect for the art and process of making games, saying that if any of his work were adapted, it would have to be done right. 
You you don't want to just be doing a licensed game. You you don't want to just be tying into something and using the brand established by the film. Same way you actually don't want to when you do a film adaptation from a video game. You don't want to just draft off the brand. You want it to be something great. So, you know, I think that he's had some really good movies that would make for some really interesting video game. And I'm thinking like Interstellar. I'm not thinking, you know, the Batman movies. We've got Batman games. That's fine. Uh, Tenant. I haven't seen it, but the premise of the, the reversal of time or, or collecting something back from the future would be a really cool mechanic in a video game, I think. Inception. Although Inception, I can't imagine being an inexpensive video game because I, I feel like you would have to make several different gameplay elements for the different for the different different dreams for the different levels of the dream that you went down if you remember inception and if you're a a weighty intellectual like myself and understood inner interception inception like i did that top's still spinning he's still in the dream i think okay uh, sony pictures is uh developing three movies and seven tv shows based on PlayStation games. Uh, no announcements on what IP those are, and Netflix has already adapted games. Uh, they've done Castlevania. They've announced Assassin's Creed and Resident Evil uh, stuff. The Witcher did well. Sonic the movie was awesome. Uh, Anthony and I, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the Solid Snake movie. Um, the Last of Us is getting a series on HBO. The Uncharted movie is, is coming out soon. You got to ask yourself, is this the time for video game movie adaptations? Are they are they finally breaking the the curse? I'm not surprised that these these games potentially are getting movie adaptations because if you think about it, they themselves are cinematic experiences. Yeah, you run your character through the weeds and you tackle bad guy A and bad guy B. You collect the treasure over here, but then you get to a point. It takes the control away from you. And that character that you were controlling, you are now watching in a movie. And these games have damn good writing, too. Like, if you think of a God of War game, like the last God of War game that just came out, or The Last of Us. The Last of Us 2, I know it's very contentious. A lot of people didn't like Last of Us 2. But... The what I'm saying is there's obviously the there's obviously the ability to craft good stories from these characters and these situations and scenarios. We know it can be done, and it's and it's being done. Uh, we may we may be turning the corner. Okay, for all of our fledgling and practicing psychiatrists out there, there's a new study. That's come from the UK Royal Society for Public Health that says one and one in 10 children will go into debt <laughs> thanks to loot boxes. So for the, the those few of you un, unfamiliar out there, loot boxes are a mechanic in a game wherein you can spend real world monies to hold on. I'm getting some feedback. Why am I getting feedback? I don't know. You can spend real-world monies to buy a package, 
that does not necessarily guarantee you a particular brand of armor or a weapon or what are called skins, which are just different looking clothes that don't do anything different. Uh, and you can buy these over and over and over and get new new stuff that you don't know what it is. It's like a surprise pack. So anyone with children out there, you know, you go into the store and you get a LOL surprise pack or a Kinder Egg or whatever. You don't know what's inside. And that can be very exciting and very, very terrifying. But uh, according to the study, 11% of kids use their parents' credit cards to fund loot boxes. And 9% borrowed money they could not repay to fund the habit. Uh, the <laughs> from from this article that I found on the Gamer, uh, uh, Ger- Geraldine Bedell, an executive editor for Parent Zone, said, uh, "Parent Zone strongly backs the GHA's call for loot boxes to be classified as gambling. Our research, like theirs." points to the exploitation of children by gambling-like mechanisms in online games and the use of psychological techniques drawn from gambling. Risks are being taken with the future of young people who are being taught to gamble. This report comes out at a time when many people are stuck at home thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic. With pressures mounting from every angle, it makes a lot of sense that kids are falling prey to microtransactions and loot boxes. This year alone, loot boxes and microtransactions earned Activision Blizzard, one studio, around a billion dollars in revenue. It's not hard to imagine that some of that came from children. And in the article, I, I didn't, didn't snag any of that off, but in the article, I read that there were even parents that had to end up uh, selling their home or moving because they couldn't afford mortgage or they defaulted because they had or their children had spent too much money in these online games. Now, this is not this is not daddy's corner. And now that I said that out loud, I'm not even sure if that would be the, the channel name for something with parenting vice, uh, advice or something uh, maybe a little bit uh, <laughs> a little bit sexier. <laughs> Um, so I'm not here to give you parenting advice, but if you are a parent with, I assume the ownership of the video game device your children are playing on, and I assume the ownership of your finances, your credit cards, uh, there's absolutely no reason that your children should be spending more money than you know about. And if you know that they are spending so much money that you can no longer afford to live in your home, I, I just, I think maybe it's better that you don't have a home to live in. <laughs> That's too cruel. That's too cruel. You do deserve to live somewhere. Just uh, manage your money better and watch your children, what they're doing online. Parents, watch your children, what they're doing online, please. I was in a, I was playing Fortnite. I was, I was, <laughs> this is an aside. I was a solo queue for a squads match. I was teamed up with these three people, three children, all on microphones. Uh, gloriously terrible, I have to say. And we landed and they squeaked at each other. But man, these, these kids, they were like 13, 12, 13 years old. And they were just, they were so foul. 
I was like, watch your language, young man. <laughs> I didn't I didn't say it. I just muted them because they were very annoying. But uh, yeah, they're pretty good at Fortnite. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> OK, uh, big news out of the PlayStation 5. Um, players are now reporting that the DualSense adaptive triggers are breaking. So the PlayStation 5 controllers have these really neat triggers on the on the side, uh, on the top, that are supposed to be able to enhance your play in different ways. Like they can apply resistance or they can be easy to press uh, depending on the scenario that your character is going through. Like if your character is we- wielding a rifle and the gun in the game jams, the trigger on top of the controller will also apply that, that resistance so it, you know, it, it won't be able to be depressed and you won't be able to fire at the enemy. Uh, so these, it's a very cool technology, but uh, approximately a thousand players have reported that the, they experienced the resistance and then the trigger just gave and then it was non-responsive or much, much less responsive earlier. And in the article I was reading, they were talking about, oh no, could this be another kind of Joy-Con drift issue that is happening so widespread that it just it gets memed into oblivion and it's also a, a big problem for, in this case, PlayStation 5 users? I, I, you guys know I'm a Microsoft man, an Xbox boy, and a, and a, a, a player of Ori and the Blind Forest. So I, I'm not here to dog on PlayStation players. I'm here to dog on extra things, extraneous, uh, extraneous uh, accessories that you don't necessarily need, though they might make for a more immersive or interesting experience. Speaking of that, we've got to talk about VR. We got an Oculus, Oculus Quest 2 this Christmas um, for us and the kids, and that's, that's, that's immersion that I, I didn't think... They were actually. I thought they were very gimmicky, but apparently they're they're pretty legit. So anyway, extra things like you get a vehicle that's got the automatic windows and the automatic doors and the 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 sensors on the back and the lane changing sensors. You've got you have so many more things that can break in your vehicle, and so that's that's what I thought about when I thought about this dual sense controller and these adaptive triggers specifically is. You are you are putting a thing into your accessory that just has an opportunity to break, especially if it's a thing that these these battle hardened gamers hands that are you that have the grip strength of 18 gorillas uh, are, are applying pressure against because they've got that jammed gun or they can't get that tree to fall in the game or whatever it is. You, you actively have players trying to destroy the thing to get it to work. And that's the gimmick. So I, I didn't see this coming, but I am also not surprised by it. And the last piece of news that we have in the gaming world, KFC, man, they came out with a video game console or they're coming out with a video game console. Now, this thing was first announced, I believe it was back in June, but it's supposed to be, it looks like a, a kitchen appliance called an air fryer. It's kind of roundish, and it's supposed to support, it says 
256 uh, frames per second or no that can't be right 120 frames per second 4k uh, 200 some odd hertz I think is what it was but it also has a drawer that is heated that comes out to warm yourself up some chicken chicken uh, <laughs> chicken drumsticks if you want I don't know if it's real like is this all a troll if it is they're getting really good publicity about it but why not would you get would you get the KFC it's called the KF console because the C is part of the console as well but would you get a KFC console and you have to think about the precedence that this sets if the KFC console does well who's to say man who's to say that McDonald's doesn't come out with the McDonald's box or Arby's doesn't have uh, the Arby's handheld or something like that I don't know is it is it a is it a cost-effective marketing strategy to develop and support an entire console system just based around brand recognition is that a smart thing to do I don't know I don't I'm not a marketing executive I don't I'm not a CEO of a large fast food conglomerate so maybe it is but the KFC console coming to a living room or would it be in a living room would it be in a kitchen coming to a kitchen near you soon you would hook this is it you would hook the KFC console up to your smart fridge and that's where you'd play it that's where you'd you'd stream all of your games from the KFC console while you're cooking your chicken to your smart fridge and it actually has adaptive controllers that you you hook up to drumsticks and you just squeeze the drumsticks or maybe you take a bite and it moves your character in a certain way KFC call me I've got really I've got really big ideas all right so that is all of the news that I have today whew that was about a, about an hour of news 55 minutes worth of news or something along those lines um Still hoping you're having a good Christmas hanging out here with your favorite pal, Dustin. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. All right. I know that you've been waiting for it. This whole episode has been nothing, nothing but a huge buildup for this particular segment. Can you feel it? Can you feel the, the anticipation in your loins? As you, as you breathe, does your very breath betray the moments that pass? The moments that separate you from that which you desire? Well, now it's here. This little piece I wrote about hype. And by the end of the show, I'm going to tell you how hype hurt me in a very significant way. Yeah, we're talking about hype uh, today specifically because of uh, a couple weeks ago. Cyberpunk 2077 was released. Um, I've, I've tried not to interrupt my time with Keanu in Cyberpunk. I am uh, anticipating foregoing more of my uh, own personal health and hygiene due to being so enthralled with Cyberpunk 2077. I have been very excited about it. And to say that I am anything less would be an understatement and it would be a betrayal 
of the truth. So before I get uh, too far into the weeds on this one, I thought a good place to start would be the definition of hype. So as a noun, hype is extravagant or intensive publicity or promotion. Publicity, advertising, promotion, marketing, all examples of hype. Or to be used as a verb to promote or publicize, typically a product or an idea, intensively often exaggerating its importance or benefits to publicize, advertise, promote, or boost. So now that we're all reading from the same book and we've got a good starting point, we can start talking about hype. See how I'm building all of this up? Aren't you excited? Get that way. This is going to be the best podcast ever. Based on those definitions, a thing with a significant impact or importance isn't really what we're talking about in this episode. Though you could surely get hyped for a life-saving surgery, a, a Middle East peace treaty, or your paycheck at the end of the week. They're not the things I imagine when I think about hype. No, all of this uh, that I'm talking about is superfluous stuff, like we talk about here on Culture Jack. And in my own worldview, has less to do with college admissions and promotions than it does to do with things that entertain me and tickle my fancy. <clears throat> so uh, there are some recent examples and, and examples that we've talked about on the show before. And heck, I may have even mentioned them in my last couple episodes. Or Anthony and I may have mentioned them in one of our midweek specials. But I'd like to talk about five separate events in this media space and their impact on Anthony and myself. Well, mostly myself. In 2018, when Marvel's Infinity War and Red Dead Redemption 2 were released, last month, when the Xbox Series X came out, then Cyberpunk 2077 was just released, and finally, I want to talk about Black Widow and when it eventually makes its debut. So have you, have you seen Infinity War? Chances are that you have. Of course you did. It was only the biggest movie event of the decade, grossing over $2 billion at the box office. Now, try and think back to the hype surrounding that movie. I personally remember myself oscillating between staying off of the internet entirely to avoid spoilers and then scouring the internet for hours in search of additional information, characters, story beats, casting rumors, or whatever else I could learn about the movie. I followed every casting announcement during the lead-up to the movie. During production, I monitored for rumors and details. I watched every interview surrounding the thing in hopes that, like a Mark Ruffalo or Tom Holland, would leak some juicy tidbit that would hold me over for just one more day. I still remember reading the description from Comic-Con of a special trailer that was shown there. Not even a trailer. It was a description of a trailer. Then when the movie came out, I couldn't see it right away. So I had to steer clear of everyone to avoid, you know, one-liners or, or cool action scenes and otherwise ruin some of the bigger surprises that were in the movie. The few people that I did talk to, the ones I could trust, who I knew wouldn't ruin the thing for me, talked about how the ending shook them to their very core only further stimulating my anticipation to see this movie. And so what did all of this hype lead to for me? I saw Infinity War four times in the theater. 
All of this hype, all of this marketing, all of the viral nature of this cultural event led me to see the thing four whole times. Was it any one point or any one trailer that brought me to the point where I would see this movie in theaters more than I've ever seen any movie's theatrical run? I don't think so. This was hype. This was a... a (laughs) A blue ball situation that had been building up over the last decade of Marvel movies, starting with Iron Man and his origin story, the Thor movies, the saga of Captain America, the introduction of Black Panther, Spider-Man, the Guardians. This was the culmination of these events that paid off in a big way in terms of participation by a movie going audience and myself. So I think when it comes to hype, a steady buildup is essential in the purest strains of hype. A longer duration, as evidenced by this movie, will definitely result in a skin-crawling hype beast. And it's not just a consistent drumbeat that fans the flames of anticipation and excitement. An infrequent and rare release can also paint a frenzy upon a particular group of fans or aficionados. Case in point, Red Dead Redemption 2. The speculation about what this game was and what it was going to be upon release had both Anthony and myself frothing at the mouth to play this game. We even did one or two episodes of this podcast about Red Dead Redemption 2 a couple of years ago prior to the game's release. What was the gunplay going to be like? How would the game change based on your decisions? How immersive would it be? Could you really lose your hat? You know, without much information, we could only guess. And guess we did. To get excited about a thing, you don't necessarily need to know a lot about it. If you're interested in the medium and can have an engaging conversation, well, it can be nearly as exciting as drowning in information or being consistently beaten over the head by it. Rockstar... The developer of Red Dead Redemption 2 has a magnificent pedigree and notoriously takes a lot of time on their games, usually dedicating six or seven years of production time to these larger releases, whereas other AAA developers might release a game every two or three years. A good deal of anticipation can also revolve around the mystery of something that you're excited about, especially if it's a highly anticipated sequel like this one was. Every year there are conventions for entertainment, technology, publishing, any other industry or aspect of human life. And during these, oftentimes, their sole purpose is to build hype within the souls of their audience. At a video game conference like the Electronic Entertainment Expo, or E3, sometimes all they do is throw up a title card for an upcoming game, and then they just allow that to percolate and make that anticipation and build that frenzy within a fandom. And it's not always just a game or movie that can build a strong internal hype inside of us. We are naturally pack animals, and we bond over our shared experience. Now, of course, accepting sociopaths, most of us have an empathetic response. When our friends are sad, we become sad. When they are happy, we are happy. The same principle works for excitement. We just got done talking about shared experience and monoculture in one of our previous episodes. I'd love for you to take a look at all those episodes, by the way. If you haven't already, I'm very proud of them. So you and I already know that a community 
built around a thing or an event can drive us to desire or anticipate that much more. Case in point, PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series consoles just had a release last month. Now, if you're a part of either of those communities, you know how passionately toxic they can be, how human nature naturally lends itself to a sense of tribalism in order to thrive. And if your particular tribe is one that worships on the altar of, of PlayStation or of Xbox, you've got a new God entering the Pantheon and the introduction of these new consoles. All right, I'll, I'll stop with the religious parallels, but you get what I'm saying here, right? The hype around this console, uh, this console release had Anthony and I in a fervor, so much so that we lamented when we were unable to secure a pre-order online back when the pre-orders were first released, cursing those lucky few and the scalpers who took advantage of the online nature of the thing. My brother and I were also excited about getting an Xbox X, Xbox Series X that we waited outside of a store in below freezing weather with a bunch of strangers just for a chance to get one of these new rigs. So, if it isn't the steady drumbeat that makes your hair stand on end, and if it isn't the prospect of a rare treasure ending up in your hands, perhaps hype is built the most by the rowdy conversations, community, and sense of belonging that a material object can offer. Cyberpunk 2077 just came out just came out last last week, last couple weeks. Is anyone playing? Are you guys enjoying it? What makes Cyberpunk so appealing? One of the most ante- anticipated games of the year. Granted, it's got a few bugs and some people are less than pleased with it. But what has built the hype around it? We're not necessarily talking about the release. We're talking about the hype and the buildup. I'd say it has been a combination of all the things that I've mentioned so far. Now, we've had a great deal of mystery surrounding the game, especially due to multiple delays in the production of the game. The studio putting the game out, CD Projekt Red, is one with a marvelous pedigree, having developed the very popular Witcher 3. It's a, it's, it's a game that even spawned that Netflix series with Henry Cavill. Great show, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Here at the end of the production, right before release, we've also had a steady flow of teases by the developers. They've been putting a, a special YouTube series out called Night City Wire that outlines different aspects of the game. And to top it all off, there's a large contingent of people who are very excited about the game. So that community thing that I was talking about. A game which is easy to speculate about, make up bizarre theories, and otherwise hold an interesting conversation over. All of this has led to a perfect storm of hype. All of the elements are there for gamers to get really excited about. Some, so much so that after delay uh, announcements, the developers have had death threats lobbied at them or otherwise been chastised on the internet. Now, don't do that. Don't harass people, especially people that make something that you enjoy. We'll talk about the joys of uh, a delays another time, but briefly, a delay, especially a delay of a game, will more often than not make the game better. Like Shigeru Miyamoto said, a delayed game is eventually good. A bad game is bad forever. And maybe Cyberpunk could have stood being delayed a little bit longer. And 
Miyamoto, I would I would say that that's partially true, but in a in an age where games receive day one patches and patches throughout their life cycle, oftentimes games do get better after release. But that brings me to my last example. The delay of Black Widow. As you know, Black Widow is a staple on Culture Jacked and on this show in particular. I know Anthony is eager for its release as well, but I am just, I'm besides myself, tingling with anticipation. Although I have to ask myself why. Why am I so damn eager for a character who I've had no long history or infatuation with? Natasha Romanoff is, of course, part of the expansive MCU, but she by far isn't my favorite character or have the most compelling story. Sorry, Casey, but that's just the truth. I guess the reason why this movie is one of the top movies on my list is because Disney and this pandemic have kept it from me. The final reason I think that hype can become overwhelming is exactly this. We desire that which we cannot have. You very rarely see hype for a thing that is readily available or easily obtainable. Hype is a, it's a strange thing, but it's a universal thing. From the earliest days of our youth when we looked forward to opening the presents under the Christmas tree, a long summer break after a hard school year, or even just a, a delicious dessert after dinner, anticipation is so primal. It is so animal. It is built into us since we, we stalked and killed gazelle, filling our mouths and bellies with muscle and sinew. Does your mouth water with that description? Mine sure does. Maybe not that raw, but you get my meaning, no doubt. We are hardwired to be excited, and hype for games and movies is just our particular brand of the hunt. Devolver Digital is a game developer who has notorious E3 showcases. And the one they did uh, for this year, for 2020, it so well encapsulates everything that I'm talking about here today. If you enjoy uh, video games or you enjoy hype, I have some homework for you. Turn on on YouTube and watch the uh, punch into the search bar Devolver Digital E3 Showcase for 2018, 2019, and 2020. So three videos. Uh, the 2021 is the one uh, you need to get on to watch about the hype, but they've really built it up over the last couple years, so you're not going to follow the story if you don't go a couple years back. Now, other game studios uh, get out on stage and they, they bring up producers and designers uh, to introduce clips and give details about games. Devolver, on the other hand, puts on a scripted stage show where the CEO conspires with her cohorts to take R, the consumer's, money. It is such beautifully scripted satire as they claim to put out trailers and build hype for games that they have no intention of ever actually even making because the hype is what actually drives the sales and what the people want. And though it is satire, it is kind of hard to argue with. So I'll put up uh, links for those videos of those conferences so you can check them out if you want uh, in the comments here on our Facebook, on our Facebook videos, on our Facebook page, and the description in this podcast as well. I hope it was worth the wait because I've been meaning to do this hype one 
for two or three weeks now. <laughs> I hope it was because that's it for the show. So make sure that you stay tuned for another round of Monday Madness after a a long, beautiful weekend. I hope you enjoy yourself on your weekend. I hope your your Christmas today is merry and wonderful. And if you don't celebrate Christmas, whatever holiday you're celebrating here this month, uh, make sure that it's it's fun, it's good, and you're you're celebrating in a way um, that brings joy to your heart. Do that. Do that, please. Uh, also, make sure you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts especially, but whatever platform you're listening to, if you communicate with our computer overlords, they will find mercy upon us and they will spread the podcast like a virus to other people who enjoy such things as Anthony and myself do. So leave us a review. If you want to get in contact with us, make sure that you hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at Culture Jacked, or you can send us an email at culture.collective.x2 at gmail.com. But besides that, thanks for hanging out with me a little bit today. It's a wonderful Christmas day. Have a good weekend and cheers. Cheers.